You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey. That boy is crazy. Judd Zolgad. I like the guy, yeah. but he says goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Curry waits. Durant gets the ball. Curry will come and set a screen. Got to keep moving. Yep. Five on the around. shot clock. And Durant in no hurry. Now with three. With two. Comes left. Pulls up. Takes a contested three. And it's good for KD. That was cold-blooded. The shot's no good. Bell tips the rebound to Draymond. Draymond out of the pack to Curry. Curry for three. Got another one. It's a Curry flurry. And it's 72-63. The Warriors lead by nine. Unbelievable. I'm going to guess you probably chose uh, other things besides basketball, even though it was a Game 7 last night. You probably weren't fixated on basketball. Yeah, not till the 4th. Okay. Um, it takes a lot. So you did in the 4th, that you did see what I am about I to complain flipped about. flipped over after the hockey game was done to watch the rest of, of the game, and Golden State by that point was up by a pretty comfortable margin, yes. Would you say it takes a lot for me to... I'm not one of those, I hate the Packers, or I hate this... I don't, I'm I more mostly a sports lover. In the three years that I've worked with you, three plus years now, I don't think you've ever hated a team. You, you've been frustrated, but like you're... All, yeah, I'm trying to you're think my side. always on the side of that, that if the Yankees are good or the Celtics are good, yeah. it's good for the sport. You need villainous teams. I've never, yeah. I've never known you to flat out come out and say that you hate a team. I mean, I openly rooted for the Heat when LeBron was there, so... I don't root for the Yankees, but I don't. But you don't mind them. You've yeah. made that clear, and I think you're. I, I think you're right in the sense that if if it's a team like the Lakers or Celtics or Sox, it's good for the sport if that team is good. So something happened in the fourth quarter last night that I'm going to build to here. Okay, that put me over the edge for the Warriors. I hate the Warriors now, and I hope I hope somehow LeBron James sticks it to him in seven games in the finals. And there's a lot of other reasons besides what happened in the fourth quarter, like the fact that they took advantage of a one-year salary cap loophole to get Kevin Durant, one of the top three players in the world, on a team that was already the best team in the world. Uh, like a year where all of a sudden everyone just magically has 15 or $20 million in cap space that, that they've never had in the history of the NBA. And, oh, it's convenient that Kevin Durant is a free agent. Like they sort of luck box their way into Kevin Durant on that team. Uh, the fact that Draymond Green is this pesty annoying player who the more he declines as a player, which he has the last two or three years, uh, the more insufferable he becomes. And I would even say that the good fortune the Warriors have had, Chris Paul being out for Game 6 and Game 7, they would have lost this series. If Chris Paul had played at full strength in Game 6 and or Game 7, they would have lost one of those games. They probably would have lost last night because that was a pretty close game last night until until toward the end. And then, of course, Kyrie and Kevin Love got hurt three years ago. And they still needed six games to dispatch Matthew Dellavedova and LeBron James' uh, random sidekicks. But last night, with even with all those things, okay, whatever. It's it's fun to have a villainous team. They're up double digits, eleven points, twelve points, five minutes left in the game. Okay. It's the most dominant team maybe in NBA history, and they turn to Hacka Capella. <laughs> 
it's not enough that you're sitting on multiple MVPs <laughs> on your roster, yeah. that you've got multiple Hall of Famers, you've got probably the two greatest shooters, pure shooters, in the history of the NBA. I did see it. I didn't think about it, though, at the time. You're up by yeah. double digits. The opposing team is without its first or second best player in Chris Paul. And you can't just close the game out with five minutes to go. You can't just close it out. So you got to means- hack Clint Capella three times and send him to the free throw line. This means, All right. this means though, that, that you directly hate Steve Kerr, then. Well, I don't hate Steve Kerr. I hated but, I mean, that. I hated, I hated... No, I love Steve Kerr as a coach. I hated that particular tactic. I understand why they'd rather, instead of running the risk of the Rockets getting hot with three minutes to go in the game and shooting eight three-pointers, yep. I understand sending a 50% free throw shooter to the... I understand why it's optimal strategy. I just hated it in that moment. The fact that you've got this dynasty team, mm-hmm. you've got Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's going bonkers, and Clay Thompson's one of the greatest shooters of all time, and Steve Kerr's this mastermind coach, and you just overcame a 15-point deficit in that team's arena, and they know they're cooked. The game is the game is over, and the Rockets just missed 27 straight three-pointers. Like the game is over, yeah. and you hack a no, capella. Your point, yeah. You intentionally foul this poor guy and I send him to the line. It just, it just felt like overkill to me. And it was one of the, it's a villainous franchise based on all the things I mentioned. And that was the most villainous thing they could do in that moment. Oh, and in and around that same time, James Harden gets fouled, hits the deck, and uh, Draymond Green walks up to him, grabs him by both hands to lift him up, gets halfway, drops Harden's hands, and walks away. He did? Yes. Oh, I didn't see that. It's all over the internet. Oh, if that's you missed it, you can go find it. But I just like. It, it's oh, it's all these things that have happened over the past few years, and I'm not one to hate teams, but I just I watched that last night and thought, oh my god! Does this now now does your hate extend to uh, past this finals coming up? Then do you do you feel like this is past the point of of no, no return with them, where you're just out on them completely? I think they're good for the NBA. People think oh, it's bad for the NBA. LeBron versus Warriors for the fourth straight year is not bad for the NBA. It's going to draw huge ratings. You've got one of the great personal legacies in LeBron yeah. James versus one of the great team legacies in the Warriors. Would it have been kind of fun to watch a, something I, a little different, Rockets right. versus Cavs? Sure. But to, to your point, can I tell you how frustrating it, it is to hear people say, four consecutive years, I'm so bored with this, it's bad for the, the league and all that? I'll tell you what's bad for that, that league. Spurs and Nets, which nobody watched and nobody cared about. That's bad for, for your, your league. When you're talking about your superstar player in LeBron against a superstar team, I'll give you a bad. I'll give you the Knicks and Rockets in 94 when it was unwatchable basketball. That's bad for your league. Although, that, although that was not good basketball. That series is a little different because you had two all-time great centers going head-to-head in, in Patrick Ewing and Hakeem But it Elijah still was one. basically guys trying to just kill each other physically at the time. I'm just saying that that after watching some series that we have in the last uh, 25 years or so, bad for the league is not a star-laden team against a superstar player. Yeah. I get that I'm being curmudgeonly, and in almost any other circumstance, if it were the Cleveland Cavs and it was Le- LeBron James' team and they resorted to hack a capella, I would have said, great strategy. I totally would have said great strategy. Because <laughs> it is great strategy. It's just them implementing the great strategy that drives me nuts for some reason. It's a wonderful bitterness you have going right now. I like it too. Especially the fact that you completely mischaracterized the Draymond Green, James Harden thing. That was Harden refusing to get up. No, it wasn't. Watch watch it in here. Watch it again. Watch it again. I'll watch it again. I'll see Harden slide his butt across the floor and refuse to push off with his feet. No, no, no. Draymond said, ah, fine, you don't want to get up. I'll just let you go. He never even got his butt off the floor, Phil.
<clears throat> I watched it five no, times. No, I'm sorry, your judgment is clouded. You I wa- can't tell right now. I watched it five times and, and saw the exact same thing you did, and then and then watched it a couple more times, and it's obvious that Judd. I'm going opinion, to watch right it here. I'm going right to here. watch it right. Turn now. to your right. All right. All right. Whose fault is this? Draymond throws his hands off to the side. Well, that's because Harden, Harden didn't want to get up. Harden, he said, I'm Harden, trying to help you. Harden, Harden says, I'm not yeah, going to get up. Give, that's play not again. cutting dry to me. Harden gives no. him his hands, and Draymond throws his hands right, off to the right. Play it again real quick. All right. Oh. No, sorry. I can't get with you on this one, Phil. <laughs> He's about to get up, and then Draymond yeah, throws his hands off to the right. Yeah, he was dragging his way, too. I no, can't tell. That's on that's on beard. I hey, can't tell on I, that one. I'm definitely clouded. I'll give you that. <laughs> you hate the and, Warriors. And I, I love the fact that, that you can't stand and a team. I, I still it's think they're great for the league. I just thought, like, really, okay, John thinks I'm wrong. Go ahead, John. Hey, Phil. I love the show, and I especially love it that you guys both take strong and not wishy-washy, you know, opinions. But this whole thing with Steve Kerr, if you are the coach and you see that they've missed 27 threes in a row, and that's their only chance to get back in the game. I would do it 100 times out of 100, and it was a Cheshire grin that he had because they are a one-dimensional team. They're going to have to figure something else other than hero, iso ball, and that's not working. The second thing is, if you look at that, watch the guy's leg there. He doesn't want to get out of the way. He had to sort of push him. He made an attempt to help him up. Draymond Green didn't want his help. So it's all on uh, Draymond. I mean, uh, James Harden, the beard, didn't want his help. And that's the way that, that I see it. Is it thanks, John. Is six five one six four six eight two five five? Is it possible to acknowledge it's great strategy? The team's probably gonna miss one out of two free throws and, and they did it I think they did it three times until finally Mike D'Antoni called timeout and pulled him off the court. That it's great strategy, but it's also just I'm surprised that that you're drawing the line here for as far as going to I can't stand this team. That's the thing. Cause in three plus years, you've never gone down this path. It's, an, so, it's but it's, so it's, it's I get, cumulative. I get, it's cumulative. I get where you're coming from. I'm surprised that it's this it's this team and doing that. That this was the final straw, yeah. I think, is what surprised you. It yeah. went if it was another team, it went to it wouldn't have mattered as then much. I am surprised. But it was like, yes. okay, it's it's almost like a it's like a Jenga stack, and yeah. this was the last board that came out. There's years of ridiculous swag and attitude and showing up opponents, you could call it. It's obviously Durant then joining the fun after he couldn't beat him, and finally hack a capella yeah. has so, pushed you over the edge. Yeah. It wasn't enough to have the greatest three-point shooting team of all time That's right. that won a championship. You had to add one of the greatest players of all time to that collection. Okay, sure. let's, let's yeah. add him to the team. Sure. And then it's not enough to have that collection and be up by 10 in a Game 7 with just a few yeah. minutes to go, and a team without its leader, Chris Paul, we have to hack their worst foul shooter. But as you said, God. it was a smart strategy. It's, it's, I, a good, I agree. It's, it's a good move. Can it be both? Like, <laughs> It's a little bit like your baseball team is it up 7 be, to nothing, and you're bunting to try and get I, on in the ninth. Okay, I mean, okay. I think, I think it can be both if, if you're more like me, which is to hate easily, but it's interesting that you who don't, that that was it. The hack of Capella was your final straw. Well, like I would think it would have to be far more egregious than that for you to, to decide. I am done with this team, and I actually now hate the Golden State Warriors. I don't know. It's an, I don't. This is how I feel. So, and by the way, the Rockets ain't changing. Well, why should they? No, but the call, the caller said they because just, they took the Warriors a lot further than anyone else has. The no, last but I'm year. Sa- but I'm saying if if people think. If people think that, that that we're gonna get to the the 2018 19 
season and that Houston's going to come out and hit some threes and then hit some twos. They're not going to be hitting twos. But they shouldn't change their no, strategy. No, I'm just they saying just they're went, not changing. Good. They're because, not changing. Because what they, just, like, what they just did, if Chris Paul would have played, they, mm-hmm. it would have been good enough to beat a dynasty. They just got unlucky. They yeah, got, Tony they, said last night, this works, we, we will get better, but this will always work, and we're sticking, and we're not yes. going to go away from it. They got unlucky that Chris Paul got hurt, and oh. then they got unlucky, I mean, it's skill and luck, but to miss 27, 27 straight three-pointers, <laughs> that's ridiculous. You never, you, you would, you would, that's historically inept for yes, a team is. that has hit the most three-pointers of any team in the NBA. So sounds like it doesn't work to me. Let's go back to 1980s hoops. The Wolves can be good again. Let's do Get it. Get team ah. back in Houston. Let's do it. Pound that ball yes. inside. Yeah. Get those fouls inside. Threes are out. <laughs> yep. We want deuces, baby. Let's get hand checking back in too. Okay. Oh, hand checking. So is when guys come porn, down the lane, yes. we can just uh, hack them. Yes. Six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred and uh, Jason Stark in about fifteen minutes from now. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Hang on a second. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On fifteen hundred ESPN. It's amazing how long the NBA game is. You know, forty eight minutes. Uh, it lasts a long time, and there's so many opportunities to. Uh, to get yourself going as a team. And, and um, you know, with our team, um, there's just so much firepower that uh, at some point we're going to get going. And as long as we stay with it and take care of the ball and uh, get some rebounds and, you know, at least stay close in the possession game. Here's a storyline that I think is, I don't know if it's likely, but I think there's a really good chance that this could happen. This will get some steam for sure. And it would it would depend on Houston getting rid of that Ryan Anderson contract. Houston has Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson came into the game. He's been benched, basically. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the world, but he's just been benched because he can't... I think he's shooting slumping, and he just can't keep up with the Warriors. They put him in for a couple minutes, and he just got... Destroyed. Just, like, ankles broken by Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Anderson has $20 million for next year and $21 million for the year after that, so they'd have to get rid of that contract. But the fact that Houston just suffered an agonizing defeat, and 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 you could people feel bad for Houston. They got unlucky with the Chris Paul thing, and it, just an agonizing defeat. Mm-hmm. And and I think rightfully so. A lot of people were complaining about bad officiating that was leaning toward Golden State, whether it was conscious or not. Houston didn't get the officiating on their side last night, and then they they go on the over twenty seven three points. It was just an agonizing way to blow a three two lead in the series. So sympathy card for Houston. The Warriors are probably going to drub this Cavs team. I think it's possible it could go six games. I'd be shocked if LeBron and this Cavs team, even if Kevin Love comes back, were to pull out and beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. So then there'd be you know LeBron James 40, 15, and 10 every night, leaving it all out on the floor and coming up short because his teammates aren't good enough. So you'd have... Sympathy for LeBron James again, man. Like he deserves better teammates. Like what? What is going on in Cleveland? They got J.R. Smith under contract still, and these idiots. Yeah, right. And he's going. He's out. So LeBron with yeah. the sympathy card, Houston with the sympathy card, pairing them together to team up to take down the big, mean, nasty Golden State dynasty. Percentage that that happens right now. Definitely non-zero. I would say. I think it's fairly le- high. I, I think it's. I think it's fairly high. Well, if if you look for, at if he he's not going back to Cleveland, oh. if he wants to win championships, because he's also going to look over and say and see Boston, Bo- Boston, which just went to Game Seven without their two best players, 
they're going to add those two players and probably if you were to come back with a similar Cleveland team or just maybe you tweak the Cleveland team, um, you're not going to beat that Boston team. Mm-hmm. So could you come over to the Western Conference, not have an easier path, but at least have a better team? Right. And then you could you could go through the Warriors in the conference finals instead of the finals, and then you'd have to face that Celtics team in the NBA finals. And and I think the the reason why it would be very difficult to poo-poo that if they if they did it is is because of Durant in Golden State. Like once Durant went there, the gloves are off, right? That's an all-star he's team just, now. He's championship hunting yes, more yes. than LeBron ever so, did. So yeah. if LeBron if LeBron says, okay, for the last blank amount of years, I have taken a, a franchise that would be in the lottery without me and taken them, not into the playoffs, but taken them to the finals, and I'm just done. Mm-hmm. I'm too old. I'm tired. I'm still an unbelievable player, but this is too much. Uh, m- my purpose in going back to the Cavs was to win a championship. That's fulfilled. I've done everything Everything that, that he got, got heat for when, when he left for, no pun intended, the heat, he is now done in Cleveland. And he can say, if Durant went to Golden State, guess what? I can do the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's ideal. This also brings, and I think it'd be great fun. I do too. Um, and, and Houston, a lot of isolation, a lot of ball, just ball-centric with two or three players. It would actually fit LeBron James' style. LeBron James is never going to be part of a big-time ball movement offense. It's going to be isolation one-on-one and then find open shooters. And that's exactly what Houston does to perfection, almost to perfection. Um, and that brings me to the just my least favorite and dumbest LeBron slash MJ argument. There's a lot of dumb ones, and it's just an overplayed conversation. But the one that people bring up, and it just riles me up every time, that, that, that Michael Jordan, because he stayed with the Bulls for his entire prime of his career, that he somehow deserves more credit for his accomplishments than LeBron, who had to go to different teams. He didn't stay with the Cavs. Uh, well, timeout. Michael Jordan was lucky enough or born into a situation where Scottie Pippen played his entire prime with Jordan's prime, one of the best players ever. And guys didn't leave at the time. But, the, but forget about that. Right. Let's forget about like whether guys left or not. Michael Jordan had Scottie Pippen as a, as a sidekick for 10 years right. and maybe the greatest basketball-slash-ego management coach in the history of the league in Phil Jackson. Of course he didn't leave. LeBron James had Mike Brown and Larry Hughes as sidekicks, as a coach and a sidekick, when he left Cleveland the first time. Yep. And then Miami, they won a couple championships, probably should have won at least three. Dwayne Wade was getting old. Chris Bosh had health issues. Ray Allen was out. He was like 38, 40 years old. It was, it was time for him to move on. So to, I think to ding LeBron for just finding better teammates and better ownership and better coaching when he wasn't gifted that like Michael Jordan was to ding him for that is absurd. But I don't understand. And, and we, we talk, talk about this every time around this time of, of year when LeBron is playing great. I don't understand the need to even do this. And it's credible media outlets that are so desperate. Well, it, it drives, it, it drives, obviously drives ratings for TV shows or they wouldn't, but be it's doing to it. the point where it's just cliched by now. And by the way, they they were both great players. If you appreciate sports, guess what? You appreciate what they're doing. If you hate him, it actually means you love him. You hate him because you're passionate about him. So it's it, these are LeBron. What LeBron James is doing right now and has done for the past eight years is off the charts, and it's fun to watch. And and anybody who said, "Well, he's not that," no, he is. He is one of. He is going to go go down as the best player of his era. And there's a fighting chance that when he's gone. 
there will be great players to replace him, but nobody that great for quite a while. Yeah, and I mean, really, if 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 you get down to it, and the worst thing you can say about him is that he maybe he's not Michael Jordan, which I don't even know if I would make that point anymore. But but maybe he's not Michael Jordan. If that's what you're hung up on, and you can't just appreciate what you're seeing, look what happened in that series. He just put a team on his back. Yeah, Kyle Korver's and like 38. By the way, not a very good team. That's what that's what he, he's been in the league blows for, me away. He's been in the league for 15 years. You could make a case. You mentioned uh, you know lottery without him. You could make a case that in half the seasons he's been in the league. If you take him off that team, their Cav- team, mostly mostly Cavs, I guess, right. if not all Cavs teams, yep. that they wouldn't be a playoff team. Michael Jordan left the Bulls for two years, and they went to the conference championship, mm-hmm. and they almost went back to the finals. I mean, yeah, like I'll I'll still take Michael as one of the two best players of all time. Sure, but if you took Michael Jordan off the Bulls, which which they did, Scottie Pippen, Tony Kukoc, Phil Jackson. Um, all the shooters they had and Steve Kerr, I feel like they were still good enough to play the Magic in the conference. The need, the need for basketball fans to make this comp to me baffles me. I feel like in baseball you talk about players and certainly you compare them sometimes, but nothing like this. Hockey, same thing. Football, same thing. And you shouldn't. Eras change, players change. We do it with quarterbacks. Quarter, but but basketball. This this one to me seems to be the hottest. Like it's an actual debate. And if you just take a step back, you're like, yeah. uh, guess what? Both players, fantastic. By the way, I was wrong. They went to the second round of the playoffs without Michael Jordan. But the point stands. They won 55 games in 1993-94 without Michael Jordan. 55 wins. What If you took LeBron off this team and it was banged up Kevin Love, who's out every other game for the last two years, mm-hmm. and uh, J.R. Smith is going to take 20 shots a night, it would uh, Is this be a the disaster. worst Cavs team he's played on? That first team that he took to the finals before he left was a really not a good team. But is this his worst Cavs team? Because they Without remade Kevin it. Love. The first half, that team they traded was really not mm-hmm. good. Like somebody somebody tweeted at me in that regard, because I was tweeting about the same thing the other night, and someone someone responded, well, it's pretty much the same team that he had a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you know, minus Kyrie. Wait, wait, my, wait minus, Ky- yeah. minus Kyrie? Yeah, minus. Oh, you mean just like minus one of the 15 best players in the NBA <laughs> and one of the five or six best scorers? But like, yeah, it's the same team. It's either, it, it's close. I would say this probably is the worst collection. But then you saw the team that he took the Warriors to six games with two or three years ago, whenever that was, three years ago. That was a disaster team, too. I'd have to go look at that team from, from 08, 07, 08, 09. was not good at all. Anton Jameson, aging Anton Jameson. Larry Hughes was on that team, right? Yeah, Larry Hughes. They had uh, was Anderson Verejao on that yes, team. Guys like that just like couldn't shoot from beyond ten feet. I don't know. So yeah, but let's punish LeBron for just trying to find better teammates and better ownership Houston. and better coaching. Houston would be fun. I like the idea. Let's talk to Jason Stark when we come back. We'll talk baseball and we talk some Twins. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. You understand? On fifteen hundred ESPN. Just Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. I like these guys, but sometimes they think they're too damn smart. Mackie and Judd. Dummies. Mm-hmm. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking Twins now. Now with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with the Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhoffer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhoffer's to your next cookout. All right, Jason Stark. We love talking baseball with our friend Jason Stark from The Athletic. You can find his musings, theathletic.com slash MLB. He's on MLB Network, Stadium TV. 
And uh, I'm looking at Justin Verlander with the Astros here, Jason. 17 games started, not including postseason. A 1.09 ERA and a 12-2 and record. <laughs> and he's only allowing 4.7 hits per nine innings. That's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I was looking at his, uh, his numbers for this year. Uh, 12 starts, averaging three and a half hits allowed to start. Think about it. Wow. <laughs> He's averaging three and a half hits a start. 98 strikeouts, 43 hits. Yeah. It feels like it's like this has got to be some kind of like video game. This was a guy who four years ago led the major leagues and earned runs allowed, too. So this must yeah, rank pretty well, high in, in, in the resurgence rankings for guys in their mid-30s. It it really is amazing. It's not unprecedented. I mean, for pitchers to do this, um, there's real explanations for it. You know, I just uh, sat down with Justin for my baseball story show on Stadium. It, you, you can it, you can find it archived. It was on last week, and he's so much fun to talk to. But he is so energized by being there. Um, first off, he's so much healthier, right? He's got the core issues and the triceps issues behind him. He's throwing 98 again late in games when he needs to. Mm-hmm. Second thing is, you know, he's he's made some big adjustments in terms of pitch selection and pitch sequencing. Um, more fastballs down in the zone, which helps make the four-seamer up in the zone more effective. Um, more sliders, a little lower velocity on the sliders gives him more separation. And then the other thing is just all the the information he's had access to there. He's just devouring. I think we lost Hayes in there. <laughs> I think that, yes. Or he just hung up mid-sentence for some dramatic that was effect. A, <laughs> that was a real drop-off right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ver, Verlander right now leads the major leagues in ERA, uh, innings pitched. He Well, shutouts. So he's, he's tied with, with one shutout. He leads in... What's called fielding independent pitching, which is an expected ERA okay. and uh, and hits per night. All right, well, we just we just cut out there for a second as you were explaining Justin Verlander's mastery. Uh, yeah, just I was just saying that you know he's just got this incredible array of data and information available to him now in Houston that he never had before, and he can't get enough. Um, and it's not just numbers; it's not just stats. You know, they, they use these um, ultra-high-def, slow-mo cameras to record everything that everybody does on their staff, even if they're just throwing bullpens. And he has used though, you know, what he's learned from those cameras to completely retool his slider, to change the grip, change the delivery. And that pitch is now awesome. Like, you know, one of the things we talked about in that show was, the shutout that he threw against the Yankees to save the season last year in the LCS, and how many sliders he threw that night. I mean, that was a that was a whole different Justin Verlander than we'd seen. So, I mean, what he's doing is explainable. Um, maybe Trevor Bauer has some different theories, but I don't have any trouble looking at what's going on and thinking I get it. Hey, how how close did did he come to not going in that trade from Detroit to Jason? me the deal got approved with 15 seconds to go wow that you know it got so hectic the whole thing happened in the last hour or so before sure. you know the september rolled around 
that the the Tigers actually had to put a couple of executives in a car outside his house waiting so he could <laughs> run down and sign the paperwork if it happened. And he didn't have time to even consult his agent. He had to negotiate like some of these clauses in his contract himself. Then when they agreed, mm-hmm. he went to the elevator in his building and it was going to be too long a wait. He ran down the steps, ran outside the house, and they were there with the paperwork, and he signed it, and that's how it went down. It's incredible to hear him tell the story. It's great. Yeah, so do, does the paperwork have to be signed by a certain time, or do, does the legal yeah. office have to get the fax by a certain time? Because I think it's still faxes, right? Well, it's different on August 31st than it is on July 31st, is my recollection of this. And so um, you, know, you just need to document that you've agreed by August 31st, midnight, or in that case, I, I'm trying to, I, I guess it was in Detroit, so it would have been uh, midnight, but sure. 11 Central. And the, the difference is that the deadline, you actually have to be on the phone with the league office. And I, I, I mean, I've never actually done this, obviously, but there is a slight difference. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you can go to uh, the, the baseball stories that Jason talks about on the show. You can always go to watchstadium.com, and uh, you'll be able to find there's there's eight archived episodes right now. Justin Verlander, Justin Turner, uh, Hank Azaria, if uh, if you like Brockmeyer, that's, that's yeah. awesome. So p- people can definitely check that out. With, with Verlander, he's such a total package of stuff plus command plus just baseball IQ. But if you had to rank yeah. in general... If you're going to be successful as a, as a starting pitcher, let's say, and you're going to rank baseball IQ and you're going to rank command and you're going to rank stuff, how would you how would you and how would smart people around the league rank those things? Wow, that's really a hard one. I, I mean, you're not you're not doing anything that he's doing without stuff. So I guess that has to be one. Yeah, but uh, you know, you, I almost might say baseball IQ would be two. Because a lot of this is how you utilize your weapons. And he's got a better understanding now of that than he has ever had. And he, you know, one of the things that's so refreshing about him, and we talk about this too in the show, is that, you know, he's not afraid to set the bar as high as he can set it. He, he wants to go to the Hall of Fame, and he's not afraid to say it out loud and explain why he says it, and it's he uses it for fuel, and it doesn't jinx him. I mean, I, like I've always felt, maybe you guys agree, that you can't truly be great unless you aspire to be great, and that defines him. Yeah, he's all he's in, by the way. I think if yeah, he, I think he's going to walk in now, yeah, right? for sure, for sure. I mean, I think he's in. I don't know how he could look at his career. Um, this is this is year twelve, and not think he's been one of the most dominant starters of his era. The Rizzo slide at home yesterday. Your thoughts on on was it out of bounds in, in the fact that he went after the catcher's foot, or as Madden tried to say, it was a completely clean slide? Um, did his hand touch the plate? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, did they look at it in New York and overturn it? No, they didn't. And so clearly this was a legal slide by every definition of it. And yet I think it tells us something about the 
state of the sport that a slide like that has suddenly turned into the 21st century version of Pete Rose Ray Fossey. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's, it's really well put. That. You're right. It is true. It is true. Um, the Twins are in the middle. Just get your quick Twins thoughts here. If, if it weren't for Cleveland sputtering, then this wouldn't even be a conversation about the Twins and and uh, whether they have a chance to still hang around in the race. But Cleveland's only two games over five hundred. The Twins have games against Kansas City here. They do get uh, some games against Cleveland, Chicago. Um, like, are, are they just? Is this just going to be a transition year? Do you think, or, or should the Twins still hold their heads high and hope for Byron Buxton to figure it out? What's your sort of state um, of the Twins from uh, where you stand? Okay, I, I don't think that we know yet, but I do think that we. Every day, we're getting the impression that the Indians are not the same. Their bullpen is an equalizer. You know, they score a ton of runs. Their rotation's still great, but their bullpen undoes a lot of the rest of it. And so they're vulnerable, right? We agree on that. Yes. And then the Twins have, like, it's it's almost 50 games left against the White Sox. The Tigers and the Royals, um, and a ton of games left in the division. They're lucky that they have an opportunity to salvage this season. If they were in the AL East, obviously, uh, that we'd, we'd be talking a whole different story. But I clearly think that they have that opportunity. Um, it's going to be a really interesting month and a half, two months. Does this d- division, uh, at the rate it's going, ha- have a chance to be historically bad? You know, I haven't really done the math on it yet, um, because once everybody starts to play within the division more, and the Indians and Twins have so many games left right. within the division, I would think somebody's going to be over 500. <laughs> but you would hope? You would never have a division where nobody was over 500. Yeah. And, you know, we're definitely steaming in the wrong direction there. There was that Cardinals, but they were a while. No, they won the division, the the 06 Cardinals. 83 win uh, division winner and World Series winner. They did. And then the, I believe the 94 strike year, didn't the, uh, the AL West have, um, they only had one team over, something like that, but it, this is it just strikes me as this is a train disastrous. wreck. Yeah. I guess and, if you know, think about it, because there's three teams that really aren't trying to win. And if the Twins have a bad next few weeks, they might decide they should sell. Well, and then the Indians just kind of waltz in. That seems wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, and then, and then there's but you know the, the Twins, Dozier is a free agent, and Gibson's having a good year, free agent. Lance Lynn's had a couple good, so they do have. If they want to pull the trigger, they have some valuable pieces. Another, that's if you're exactly looking right. Twins historically, 1987, and that's when there was only an East and a West. You had in 1987 when the Twins went 85 and 77, and they went on to win the World Series. In the East Division, you had four teams with a better record by at least four games, and three of them missed the playoffs because of the format. So it's just baseball's weird that way sometimes. You have a weak division, and you don't have to apologize for it. Yeah, I mean, to have six divisions means this is what comes with it. And that's why you hear from time to time people talking about how. They should do it differently. Uh, you should be seated based on record, or you should have one big league and not all these divisions. But baseball likes having six first place teams. I'll tell you that. At the, two at the strike in '94, Western Division. Jason Stark, the Texas Rangers led the division at 52 and 62. Wow, four fifty six right. win percentage. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, there's an asterisk on that, however. <laughs> yeah, you only wonder how bad that could have been. Didn't get to finish up. <laughs> 
Nope. Yeah, everyone says, oh, it would have been fun to see what the Expos could have done that year. I want to see what the Rangers <laughs> yeah. could have gone to the playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, your 76-win first place Rangers? Yes, exactly. Whoa. All right, let's fire up the game show here. It's called Trivia with Jason Stark, hosted by Jason Stark. Oh, God, fire away. I love that we have the music now. <laughs> it's a, it's so a, whole, it's a whole new world of trivia, yes. Oh, okay, I, I feel like I should talk in the Alec Trebek voice, but I'm, I'm just going to get this out. We were talking about Justin Verlander. He's got seven 200 strikeout seasons, about to have eight. It, I mean, the Twins have been around for more than 50 years. Only five Twins even have two. So there, there are three Twins who have had four 200 strikeout seasons, four or more. Why don't you try to name those three? Burp Lylevin has to be, right? He's one of yeah, the... Yeah, he's got six. That was... Johan? Gave you that one. Did Santana be on Johan, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, Johan, how many full seasons did he pitch with the Twins, though? 06, 05, 04, 03? Let's, go, let's take a stab at Johan. Yeah. yeah Johan, he had All right, four. we're doing good. We're doing exactly. good. I would say the other one is the Stumper. Not that he's a no-name. Three twins, four. He's harder, though. Okay, 200 strikeouts. It's Stumper, it's not Frankie, four. then. It wouldn't be Frankie. It'd be... It's, it's got to be further back. It's got to be because they. Well, it's, we can eliminate the last ten years. Yeah, <laughs> the pitching the whole staff that didn't get to pitching the contact outs. didn't didn't get the desired no, results. Gotta be all due respect to Guardy um, and Rick Anderson. So who, but, went, uh, so who from the way back? Well, Frank Viola is too obvious based on uh, Jason's rhetoric here. Yeah, yeah. I'll so, do that so tonight. Probably from the sixties. And this is like we need Royce like in a here. Camilla Pasquale type again, or who? Who did you say the one time? You came up with, with the right guess, and yeah, I wouldn't be Jim, Jim Cott didn't get that many Jim strikeouts. The guy, I mean, yeah. not a lot of guys got. Well, the innings were higher up, and that's why I, I got nothing. Camilo Pasquale? Yeah, that's right. Nice. Oh, oh, we got it! Snap! Yes! <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, I, I don't remember Camilo Pasquale at all, but when, looking at his numbers, that guy was a monster. He had like he four had, amazing years, yeah. Four straight years of 252, 258, 248, 267. Whoa. Yep. He, he got in. Cuban, Cuban pitcher. He too. got into to the Twins Hall of Fame, I want to say, in the last f- five years or so. And I think. That's amazing. And I think Patrick's f- final thing was if Pasquale doesn't go in this year, I'm tearing up my ballot and I'm never <laughs> voting in your stupid <laughs> Hall of Fame election again. <laughs> and he got in. Yes. Yeah, you know, I was amazed that Viola never had even one with, at, with the Twins. Went something like 191, really? 197, 193. And then he had that year where he got traded to the Mets. So he had 200 that year combined with those two teams, but yeah. never struck out 200 as a twin. Well, it's funny. It's just sometimes your perception of big dominant pitchers and the strikeouts. Like, think back to way before all of our time, Walter Big Train Johnson, right? And, and he averaged for his career 5.3 strikeouts per nine. Yes, guys just guys were swinging and guys were throwing the ball over. The train was not the Acela. (laughs) Great stuff, Jason. All right, Jason, we'll we'll talk next week, man. Great to talk to you guys. Jason Stark from theathletic.com slash MLB and uh, watchstadium.com for his baseball stories. It's a lot of great stuff. There's eight episodes on there. Um, let's talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota here for just a second. The, uh, the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities, for my money anyways, and, uh, and how you can get into uh, these SUVs uh, are just, these are great deals on, on some of the best SUVs in the world. The 2018 RAV4 with all kinds of upgraded safety features, with the Entune 3.0 touchscreen on the internal dash, and you get the spaciousness of an SUV, but sort of the, 
the feel and the handling of a Camry or a Corolla, and the gas mileage is better than your standard SUV. $259 a month right now on a three-year lease with no money down at signing. Think about that. That's one of the best SUVs in the world, and you can drive it for under $300 a month and no money down at signing. If you want something more spacious, you can go 0% financing for 60 months on a brand-new 2018 Highlander. Stop in for a test drive. Open until 9 o'clock tonight on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Luther Brookdale, Toyota. Phil Mackey. If you need him, it's trouble. Why so, is it trouble? So, too, is because he's young, and he's going to struggle at times. Judd Zolgad. I changed my thought from a half hour ago. You are a bad person. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Tune in this evening and every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. for the Adrian Heath Show, presented by Heineken. Each week, Jamie Watson and Adrian Heath will break down Minnesota United FC MLS soccer and much more right here, Tuesdays at 6 on 1500 ESPN. All right, here's a fun one for you. Because b- baseball revisionist history is, uh, or baseball history is often like revisionist history yeah. when you think back. We yeah, like not to call the good old days, yeah, so. not, not to disrespect the good old days, because we all were told tales of the Walter Johnsons of the world, right? The big train. Babe Get Ruth? off the tracks when the train's coming through. Babe Ruth played drunk every day. Yes. And Walter Johnson, is for his era, is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. From 1907 through 1927, 21 years uh, with the Washington Senators, a 2.17 ERA and 110 shutouts. And regularly led the the major leagues in innings and strikeouts and ERA, right? He frequently had ERAs under a run and a half. Just 1.14, 1. 1.39. Those were some exciting yeah. ball games back in the day. But those games, those were hour-long games because yeah. the walks were down, batters were swinging. And would you know, Walter Johnson, who is considered one of the great strikeout artists in baseball history, who led the majors in strikeouts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 times. 12 times mm-hmm. in a 21-year career, has a lower strikeouts per nine innings rate than Kevin Correa and Nick Blackburn. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. There is no way it's, the big train and it's not, can be brought it's up in that context. not to say that the big train isn't a better pitcher to his era than Kevin Correa. That would be absurd to suggest otherwise. Yeah, just, but, yeah. Uh, but it's just that if you're wondering you know, pace of play or any of these things or the, the game being different, the game was different because guys were swinging and strikeout. If a guy struck out 300 batters in a season, yeah. it wasn't because he was this lights-out so, strikeout artist. It's because he's pitched 400 innings. So did, did Stark say now that, that the Astros pitchers have a thing where every time they throw, it's somehow put in, into a computer that, that they can go back and watch it? How, how's that impacting baseball? Like, I mean, this this what he brought up to me is a step beyond what I knew about or thought about the technology right now. So I don't know. I mean... These teams keep this stuff so you know, proprietary, but yeah. from some of the things I've heard, not from the Astros, but from other organizations and the Twins, uh-huh. teams all have these customized internal databases. The Twins had one, what the hell was it called? It's called like, maybe it's still, it was called like Bear or something. PTC, Pitch to Contact back in the day? Yeah, they changed the name from that now. Now it's... Uh, it's Bat and Barrel now. Yeah, it's Bat and Barrel. <laughs> there you go. Just looking, that was the punch. Just go right to the there. bar and you can yeah. get it. Um. So they'll have it's a it's a full database, yeah. and and they'll have different ways to access. If you're a scout, you input maybe you input more human based information. If you're uh, if you're scouting a player, and they'll start building profiles on guys from high school to college, guys that aren't even on their team yet, and they might have handwritten type stuff that gets put into to a 
a player's profile that also has statistical evaluations, right? And I'm not going to pretend to have like opened the books on this. I'm just giving you kind of a big picture summation. So if you're a pitcher, I'm sure you can go in and you can see how opposing teams are reacting to your pitch repertoire. And you can look at your various spin rates, just like a golfer would go to a second swing tour van experience. And you get to see how, how does your ball work off the tee? And I guess if you, know, if you change your swing this way. Right. So a Justin Verlander, not only is he smarter than the average pitcher, he can go in and get this information that everyone has access to to some extent, and he understands how to decipher it for his for his skill set or whatever. Sure. Interesting. And so he can go see, all right, um, let's say two years ago, my slider wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be. So now they have these super slow-mo cameras or, or spin rate tracking uh, systems or, or a combination of both, and he can see exactly where his mechanics are going wrong. And then he can he can cross reference when he throws certain types of sliders or certain types of pitches, he can go cross reference how are hitters reacting to those in games, and so a lot of this might be information overload if you don't know what you're doing with the information. It's going to but if you do, it's it's an enormous help to you. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, you can gotcha. essentially reverse engineer success if you know how to alter your your pitch repertoire and your mechanics wow. and the way that you uh, attack hitters. So it's not. A coincidence that he has basically a one ERA since joining the Astros a year ago. It's insane, but it's you take a guy who's got great stuff, a guy who's smart, and give him all these tools. I already made the comment when the Tigers were here last week, and I don't think he was joking that they are basically implementing a system now there. So if Houston's down th- that far down the path, mm-hmm. Gardy's point was, yeah, we're putting this in, like we're yeah. in the midst of evolving it. So it would make perfect sense that if if he was in Detroit, it, they'd be like, yeah, we really can't help you that much. And, and it's not like Guardy's, you know, Guardy's not bringing a whole lot of experience from other organizations with these nope. highfalutin systems. No, he's not. Um, are the Twins cooked? Let's talk more about that. Uh, Jason brought up a couple good points we can circle back on. And if you have thoughts, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. How did your focus groups feel about cliffhangers? On 1500 ESPN. 